Welcome to another message from Ron Heitman, lead pastor at Evangel Church. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc. We decided that we would take this month to focus on some characteristics that God forges into our lives as he makes men and women. And we thought, well, we're just going to, since Father's Day in the middle of the month and we've got our men's uh, weekend set up on, on this men's convention with Jeff Lee coming in a couple of weeks, we thought, well, let's title this The God Made Man. And we're going to take a look at different uh, stories of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, over the next few weeks to show you how God literally forges incredible characteristics in our lives when we make ourselves available to him. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. There's actually 14 chapters that we're going to read all 14. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to read all 14 chapters. I'm just seeing if anybody's listening. Okay. We're going to look that literally over the next uh, few minutes, we're going to take those 14 chapters and compile them into the story of a man named Joseph. I threw out on uh, Facebook earlier this week uh, a question about Joseph and just wanted people to respond to what came to their mind and had great responses uh, in social media with that. But immediately somebody asked, which Joseph are you talking about? So I want you to know we're talking about O.T. Joe today. We're talking about the Old Testament Joseph, not the New Testament Joseph that would be uh, the husband of Mary and the parents of Jesus. Rather, we're going to look at the Old Testament Joseph in the book of Genesis. Now, obviously, we can't read chapters 37 through 50 today, but if you'd like to turn, I want you to turn to the last chapter, chapter 50, and I want you to hold it there for a moment. If you'd like, you can slip back through in just a moment as we talk about some of these characteristics that were uh, coming out in the life of Joseph. If you want to flip through and see portions of the story, feel free. But we're going to save the key verse that we're going to read till the end of the message this morning. That's found in chapter 50. The big idea this morning that I want to get across is that as God is faithful to us, how many of you believe God's faithful to us? As God is faithless during the seasons of our lives. How many of you know there's seasons of our lives? I have a teenager season right now. Thank you, God, for that season. I just want to thank you that it is a season and not a forever style. Thank you, God. Pastor Trenton, you have a season as a brand new daddy. As a matter of fact, guess who's gonna preach on Father's Day this year? Pastor Trenton's gonna preach on Father's Day as he tackles the God Made Man series. But you know what? When that baby wakes up every, what, three hours, four hours to be, guess what? That is a season, okay? You will get to sleep someday in your life once again, okay? Uh, as if he's doing all the work. We know who's doing all the work, okay? But anyway, there are seasons of our life and God is faithful to us during those seasons of our lives. And listen to me, when we're facing those tough seasons, he, you can bank on this, he is teaching us lessons. And I want you to listen to the word that I'm particularly using. I, I chose this word specifically as he forges us into the people he wants us to be. He is forging us into the people that he wants us to be during all those difficult hours of our life, those hard and challenging moments, things that we don't fully understand or comprehend why this is happening to us. God uses those moments 
to teach us and to speak into our lives. He represents himself to us and he forges us into the people of God that he wants us to be. Well, I thought I would test McKenna and Madison's knowledge of the story of Joseph this week. And we were on the way to school one morning and we'd prayed together and I thought, okay, I'm gonna see how good they know this story. And so I started buzzing some questions at them about Old Testament Job. And, uh, and man, I was amazed. They were coming back with answers and man, I was like, wow, this is really good. And man, I kept asking questions and they were telling me this part of the story and this part of the story and this part of the story. And they were covering the, the 14 chapters really well. And, I got to confess, I was a little puffed up. I was a little, a little proud of him. I was like, man, I'm such a good discipler. I am, I'm the dad of the year, man. I'm teaching my kids the Bible until they gave kudos to who deserved it. They said, you know, it's amazing, dad, how those VeggieTale movies really stick into our minds. Here, I thought I was doing such a great job, but it was VeggieTales. Thanks to VeggieTales, they knew the story incredibly good. Hey, I want to do something different in this morning. We're going to test something, just see how you do with it. But we're going to put a, a phone number up on the screen, okay? I want you to take, how many of you have your cell phones with, with you this morning? I have mine. It's sitting right down on the front row. I don't have it in my hand. But if you would, grab it real quick, all right? Those of you that text, I want you to do something to participate in the message today and to be thinking about your knowledge of the story of Joseph, O.T. Joe. What I want you to do is I want you to, anytime during the message, if something impresses on your heart, maybe something that I say or something that you remember and recount of uh, the story of, of Joseph, I want you just to simply type in this uh, phone number. That's just the church's phone number. And I want you to text the one word answer to what stands out in your mind about the characteristic that you see that God forged into the life of Joseph over the course of the different seasons of his life. It'll be just a fun way that you can interact during the message today and be a part of it. So there you have it, and we'll make sure you have it. If you, if you want to just type in the phone number at first and then just wait until maybe a, a particular characteristic stands out to you, that's fine too, okay? Here we go. Here's the story of Joseph. I'm going to compile these 14 chapters real briefly into just an overview for you. You know why? Because the reality is, even though you've heard the story of Joseph, it may have been years since you've read it. Or maybe it was last year that you read it through your Bible, or maybe earlier this year. Maybe it's been a few months since you've really focused on the life of Joseph, and once again, it's important to do so. And I've got to remind all of us here in the house of the Lord, not everyone has even heard the story of Joseph. Not everybody has read this story. Not everyone's been in church all their life. And so it's important that we go back and do a little overview of Joseph's life. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. He had a lot of siblings. And like your family, if you've got kids, there's always a little rivalry going on. And because Joseph was the second to the youngest, he had a special place in his father's heart. And as a result, his father gave him, though he thought it was a wonderful gift, he gave him this coat that had many, many colors. I don't know uh, if you ever watch morning news, but I, I picture one of Al Roker's sports coats on Joseph, okay? Uh, he's just a, a multi faceted coat with all different colors on it. Uh, I know Peter, I saw Peter Asiaka this morning. Peter, when he wears some of his, 
Togo uh, garments from Africa. I see all these beautiful, vibrant colors. I think that could apply to what maybe in our minds could uh, picture what uh, Joseph's coat of many colors from his dad looked like. But that coat, as well as the treatment of his father towards Joseph, caused an extreme jealousy among his brothers towards Joseph. It angered them, it made them mad, it felt like he was the special spoiled child. And uh, as a result, at one point when they were far away from the home, they literally took Joseph and they threw him into a pit. You think, oh, that's pretty bad. Well, it was worse than that because eventually a caravan of slave traders came by and they sold Joseph, their little brother, to these slave traders. And so off in a, a slave caravan, Joseph went not to be remembered again by his brothers. I mean, literally sold him into slavery. That's the beginning years of Joseph. But the reason why they hated him so much was not just because of a robe or a, a coat. It was because he had shared with them the dream that God had given him. How many of you remember his dream? He dreamed this incredible dream where he saw the stars bowing down to him. And he saw later the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And the interpretation of that dream as he shared it with his family was that his brothers would all someday bow down to him. Now, how many of you have an older brother? Let me see your hand. How many of you know that would not be a good dream interpretation to give to your older brother? Okay. But not only was the stars that would be bowed down to him, but also the sun and the moon. His father and mother would bow down to him. He's a young man, probably didn't know how to handle those kinds of dreams and interpretations and how to share them in the appropriate moment with tact and, and grace and such. And as a result, this just embittered them against him. So they sold him off to these slave traders. We pick up the story later in his life that he eventually is then sold from this caravan of slave traders to a man named Potiphar. And what's interesting about Joseph's life was while he was sold into slavery, even though he had a slave's life, he worked with excellence no matter what assignment was given to him. How many of you believe that we, no matter what our job is on this planet, when we know the Lord, we should serve that job with excellence in representing God. How many of you believe that today? I so believe, I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care who pays the bills or what job or what company uh, entrusts the, uh, their work to you. You should work as Joseph worked. Even as a slave, he worked with excellence to what he was called to do. He quickly gained the notoriety of being a great worker and was raised to the level of the number one servant in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar entrusted his whole household to him. Enter Potiphar's wife, an adulterous woman that loved to, to see Joseph as a young man, a handsome man, and she makes her play for him. And he literally flees from her, resists a man of integrity, a man that has uh, no desire to compromise his faith in God, no desire to to put his life on the line and not be uh, trustworthy to Potiphar, his, his master. He flees from her and she turns the story. How many have ever been accused of something that you never did? This is what happened 
to Joseph, except it was the, the wealthy man's wife who accused him. And as a result, he's not only now in, in this slave mindset, but now Potiphar has him thrown into prison. And for years, he lives as a prisoner, still having to work, still having responsibilities. And this was when Joseph decided, I'm, I'm forgetting what God spoke to me. I'm not going to do anything. And he just grew lazy and old. And no, that's not what he did. He chose to do exactly like he had done before, before Potiphar's wife had accused him. He continued to work in prison with excellence put all of his skills, all of his effort, all of his energy, all of his hard work towards accomplishing whatever assignment was given him. And as a result, he was raised again to, to authority within the prisoners among the prison. And then something happens, something that happens that is familiar to him, something that we would call something happens that's in his wheelhouse. A couple of guys have dreams and they don't know how to interpret them. They don't know what they mean. And, and one was, was a, a baker and one was a cupbearer, formerly with the, the, the pharaoh and, and, and the king of the day. And so they didn't know what it meant. And it comes across Joseph's setting and he says, well, I can tell you. God will help me interpret this. And he tells the one baker that by this time tomorrow... He would be hung and he would die. He says to the cupbearer, by this time tomorrow, you'll be restored to your position as he interprets the meanings of these dreams. 24 hours later, the dreams had come to pass and the interpretations had come to pass and the baker was killed and the cupbearer was restored to his position. You'd think, perfect! Now, now's the moment, now's the time that the cupbearer is going to say, hey, there's a phenomenal young guy in prison that can help us, that can be a, a strategic leader in the, in the kingdom and, and in Egypt, and he'll, he'll help us. And No, that's not what happened. Joseph was literally forgotten about. And I, in my description, relate this to our seasons of life when God has spoken something to us that we know is powerful and something that's beyond our ability to fully comprehend, but we just know it's from God and we want to trust God. But these are what I would term the forgotten years. The years where we're sitting back and we're realizing this is hard, this is a difficult season. God, you've brought me through a pit. You've you brought me through the jealousy of my brothers. You've brought me through the, the accusation of this, this wicked woman. And now you've brought me to prison. And now you've, you've helped me interpret these dreams rightly. But now why am I forgotten? Why is this not coming true? These are difficult seasons of our lives. And we can relate to that when you know God spoke to your heart and you feel you've got a promise from God, but you're not seeing any results. These are the forgotten years that Joseph endured in this particular season. Until, until Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. And all of a sudden the light bulb comes on back in Egyptian day. They didn't have light bulbs, but anyway, anyway, the, the guy gets the, the memory that, hey, there's a guy in prison that interpreted my dream and the dream of the baker and they came true exactly like he said they would. So they bring him to uh, Pharaoh, and sure enough, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Some about fat cows and skinny cows and different sizes of corn and stuff. It was a pretty crazy dream, but he had a wisdom that came from God to interpret 
that there would be seven years of great harvest, great blessing in the land of Egypt, and then it would be followed up with years of famine. And he said to Pharaoh, whatever you do, you need to make sure you store up the extra blessing over these next few years so you can distribute it strategically when the famine hits. Pharaoh so, so is amazed by the discernment and the leadership of Joseph. Now he raises Joseph up to be the number two man in the greatest nation of the known world at the time, Egypt. So there was Pharaoh, and then there was Joseph. And you're thinking, ah, the dream has come true. No, not yet. It looks a whole lot better. The season's getting a whole lot better than those years in, the, in Potiphar's house or those days in the pits or in that caravan with the other slaves or they're in prison with the other prisoners. But it wasn't the full accomplishment of the dream. Just as he said would happen, they had these great years of harvest and Joseph strategically stored them away. And as they did, uh, sure enough, the famine hit and Egypt became very wealthy as they distributed all the, the grain to not only the people of Egypt, but even the surrounding countries. And all of a sudden, a group, a band of brothers show up needing food as they came from a distant land. Guess who those brothers were? Joseph's brothers. They didn't recognize Joseph because by this time he had taken on the appearance of an Egyptian. He didn't look the same. He had total different style or dress. Nah, they had no clue that they were coming and asking for food and willing to buy the food from his brother. And he keeps his uh, identity hidden from them for a while. But eventually, to make it a faster story, he eventually reveals himself to them. But it was not until they had literally, just like the original dream had said, had knelt down before him. Can you imagine young Joseph now, middle-aged Joseph, seeing his brothers kneel down to him in honor and reverence to the position and leadership setting that he held? They literally accomplished the dream exactly the way God had given it to him as they knelt down before him. There was a challenge. There was a test of character when they knelt down before him because here was his opportunity for payback. Here was the opportunity for revenge. Here was the opportunity to teach his brothers a lesson of how not to treat other people. But instead, he welcomes not only his brothers, but he welcomes his father and the entire family to Egypt and he paves the way that they can entirely be taken care of during this incredible famine. And they are blessed immensely during that time. Then Joseph's father, his father dies. And the brothers are very, very nervous. You know why? So they, now that dad's out of the way, now we're going to reap what we've sown. We're going to feel the wrath of our brother. But instead... In chapter 50, he gives this incredible verse that we'll read in just a few moments that shows us how God makes a man. How God takes an individual, mankind, how God takes a man or a woman and forges their life through all the seasons 
He forges into them the characteristics of what he wants to make them and the, uh, the people of God that he wants them to be. That's the story of Joseph. So maybe you've come up with a couple of characteristics and some of those are part of that story. Some are immediately were on your mind and you're texting a couple of those ideas. Let's give you a little idea, okay? And notice I didn't mention veggie tales one time in that entire story, okay? Anyway, the dream that God gave him, it's pretty powerful. Some of you might have thought, Joseph is a dreamer. He's a, he's a man of dreams. Some of you might have thought of resilience or self-control, patience in all these seasons and trials, a man of patience, a man of perseverance or tenacity or faithfulness, work ethic, no, no compromise, a man of integrity or faith or trust, wisdom and discernment, leadership and forgiveness, grace, steadfastness. Can I ask you, are any of those characteristics forged into your life? Has God worked on any of those areas in you to help you become what God wants you to be? That's my challenge. Joseph didn't let the tragedies, listen to me people, Joseph didn't let the tragedies and the troubles of his past impact the destiny of his future. Some of you struggle in this very moment when I'm talking about prisons and pits and people falsely accusing you immediately go to those moments and you can't get past it. And I'm telling you, you need to deal with it and not let it impact the destiny that God has in store for you. Joseph knew God had a bigger and better plan for his life. Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe God's got something bigger and better in store for you based on something God had spoken to you years ago? Joseph accepted, listen to me, he accepted the circumstances of his struggles and he allowed them to lead him towards God's plan. Do you let that happen? Or do you run from what God's will is for your life? Whining, complaining, struggling. We all at times feel like, woe is me. I'm, this is unfair. We all feel that way at some times. But do we allow these circumstances and seasons and, and situations of hardship in our life, do we allow it to lead us to God's plan? Joseph never lost sight. I love this. Joseph never lost sight of his dream that God gave him. Even in the forgotten years, he still knew God had spoken to him this dream. And my question, do you still have that in your sight? Or are you going blind when it comes to the dream that God's given you? Joseph's faith kept his eyes wide open. Expecting God's provision for him and that the dream would come to pass. So I... Ask that question to you today. Are your eyes still wide open expecting God to accomplish what he spoke to you maybe even years and years and years ago? Do you still have a passion and a zeal for the dream that God gave you? Can I just tell you, it's a terrible thing to see a person's dream die. To even say that grieves my heart because unfortunately it's a horrible thing that I've seen happen to people 
someone you love, somebody you believe in, they forget their dream. And I just have to ask you and challenge you, are you losing your dream? Are you losing sight of what God spoke to you? Is it starting to die? I chose an image to try to depict the word that I, I wanted to focus on today, and that's this idea of a blacksmith and the word forge. And when you think of a blacksmith, you think of a, usually a big burly guy that you've seen on old movies before grabbing a hold of some kind of hammer and beating the crud out of some piece of steel, right? That's what you think of. And you're saying, so is God the big guy? Is he the big blacksmith that's going to beat us into shape? No, i tell you what, I believe life circumstances and situations do a pretty good job at beating our lives pretty good. Anybody say amen? But the word forge is simply this word, to make or shape. Typically speaking of a metal object, by hitting it and heating it in a fire or furnace and beating or, or hammering it. The synonyms for forge is to hammer out or beat into a shape and to fashion. See, rather than God beating us or pummeling us, I believe God allows in his sovereignty to let the seasons of difficulty in our life hammer on us a little bit, and then he comes in and he molds us and shapes us. He allows the fire sometimes to get a little hot and a little bit applied to our lives, and it melts us, makes us have the ability to be formed and shaped into what God wants us to be. And I want to close today with, with three strong lessons that I see in the life of Joseph. Lessons of a God-made man. A person here this morning, man or woman, that says, if, if I can only learn from these seasons of life, this is what God will shape me into being. The first lesson I believe I can see from Joseph's life is the fact that the humility of our hardships forges gratitude during our blessings of provision. Now I want you to think of what that means. I want you to think of what that statement means. Humility of our hardships. When hardships hit us, there is a brokenness that comes. There's a meltedness in the fire of those seasons that burns away any pride or arrogance or self-reliance. And all of a sudden it forges a gratitude in our hearts, just a thankfulness in God presence in our life. And when blessing comes, how many of you know that blessing will come? When blessing comes, instead of saying, look what I've done and look how I persevered, rather there's a sense of gratitude and a thanksgiving kind of heart that is our well-deserved lesson because God has spoken into us and forged us a life of gratitude. Acts 7, it's interesting, throughout the Bible, different Bible writers, different uh, books of the Bible written by different men tell the story of Joseph. Little snippets of, of the facts of his story are placed in the Scripture. It says this in Acts chapter 7, because the patriarchs, which were his brothers, were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But look at the next words, but God was with him. Say those words with me. But God was with him. Do you believe when you're going through one of those rough seasons, God's really with you? Well, you should because he is. When he was in the pit, God was with him. When he was being chased by Potiphar's house around the room, man, literally, God was with him. 
when he was in those prison forgotten years, God was with him. And God will be with you, and God's with you now, no matter what season of your life you're in. Goes on to say, and rescued him from all of his troubles. Does anybody identify being rescued from troubles? I can tell you this, I could stand here the rest of the day and tell you story after story of how God has rescued me from myself many, many times. Has rescued me because he was with me in those difficult seasons. Goes on to say that he gave Joseph, look at that, he gave Joseph what? Wisdom. I believe God gives us wisdom in those tough seasons. And then enabled him. God doesn't only give you wisdom. He empowers you. He enables you to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. David even responds in the Psalms and says, They bruised his feet with shackles and his neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass. Till the word of the Lord proved him true. You see, there is a moment when God's dream comes to pass. There's a moment when all these years of tough seasons start to add up and then God proves what he spoke to you is true. God uses these hardships to make us humble people of the Lord. And it turns, rather than being angry at the world or bitter against the world and other people, it gives us a spirit of gratitude toward what God does in our life. I guarantee you through those years of hardship, Joseph heard the taunt of the enemy. Not just the the brothers. I'm sure he remembered all the different names that they had for him and all the things that they poked fun at him. I'm sure he remembers how other prisoners made fun of him. I'm sure how other people pointed fingers at him as he was a slave. I'm sure the enemy of his soul taunted him. It makes me remember a story in my life when I was, before I came here to pastor at Evangel, a friend of mine was involved in a tragic car accident. I was on the way back from the airport and I got a call from the office. I knew something was wrong when the the receptionists on the other line were struggling, trying to tell me what had happened. There were tears in their voice. You could tell that. And so I'm trying to get out what happened. They basically said there was a tragic car accident and uh, Paul and Jan were, were hit by a truck. The, the brakes somehow didn't work on the truck and they came through an intersection and hit them broadside on the highway. Jan had died. And I went straight from the airport straight to the hospital and I walked in and the first thing I saw was the the table rolling down the hallway of my friend Jan who had I just sat on the couch with with her her, uh, children just a couple days before and they were giggling and playing in between us and I saw as they were pushing her to the morgue with the sheet over her body. I walked into my friend cut up from all of the the different uh, tragedy of the accident. He was bleeding internally. His first words to me was, Ron, she's gone. She's gone. Jan had met the Lord that night in that tragic accident. She went on to be with Jesus, and yet my friend was in a very hard season of his life. He went on and dealt with the struggle of that night and found out more details that she literally had 
been crushed up against him. And there she died up against her husband, thinking he was bleeding, but all along it was her blood that had literally covered him as she died up against him. He told me later, he said that was one of the longest and hardest nights of his life. He said while he was trying to sleep that night in the hospital, realizing his wife was dead, he said, I remember it was so vivid. He said, I could hear the laughter of the enemy of my soul. He said, I could hear clearly Satan's laugh. And the challenging questions now, now are you going to believe? Now do you really believe all that you've ever preached, every sermon that he ever preached that was brought up to him that night? The enemy taunting him about the dream that God had spoken to him, the word of the Lord that he had received. Here was a time in this moment of feeling forgotten, in a season worse than any other season of his life. He knows the enemy of his soul is taunting him. But God was still there with him. How many of you know in the hardest, darkest hour of our life, God is still with us? And he is there and he's trying to remind us of the word of the dream that he's spoken to us. It goes on, says in our, our notes here today that God's lessons during the crucible moments of our lives brings a brokenness. A brokenness of selfish pride and not a dependence on our own abilities. Forging moments demand that we trust God. Do you hear that? When we are in these forging moments of tough seasons, it demands that we trust God. God's melting moments exchange our arrogance and self-reliance into a complete dependence on God. We know that we can only rely on God in those moments. A sweet humility, a sweet humility melts our hearts as God teaches us to humble ourselves before him. And in those moments, look at me, you can either quit and give up on your dream and your word from God, or you can ask God to help you reach down deep and pull yourself up. It is a terrible thing to see people quit. There's a man right now that I'm trying to influence that I can tell he's not a part of our congregation, but I can tell he's ready to quit. I challenge you, don't forget God's dream. So often we have all the season struggles that stay in our mind and we, listen to me, and we forget God's past faithfulness. We forget past victories that God brought us, the blessings that he's put in our lives. We forget those when the moment gets really hard. In those moments, in those moments, it would have been easy for Joseph to say in prison or in Potiphar's house, why, why God, why are you doing this to me? And he could have quit. But I believe he could have written what Paul wrote in Colossians. Colossians 3.17, I believe Joseph could have written this. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. He could have said, verse 3, 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You see, Joseph wasn't working for Potiphar and he wasn't working for Pharaoh. He was always working for God. And no matter what season he was in, he was faithful that God was forging him. He could have written 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Then when that season of blessing comes, when all of a sudden it starts all coming to place and the picture of the puzzle starts coming together, when the glory of God does show up, humility has destroyed your pride. 
and a pure heart of gratitude and thanksgiving shows up. It shows up so big to compliment all that God has done. Even in those moments, even in the lives of Joseph, you'll see that others were rewarded by Joseph's faithfulness and his example. And your gratitude to God will teach others about God's character in you. When Joseph could have been hard and could have been selfish, he showed gratitude to God and his love towards his brothers. Leads me to the second lesson. Listen to this. I love this point. The fulfillment of our dreams forges faith to dream even greater. When God starts showing you little things along the way, I guarantee you it was an encouragement to Joseph's faith when he saw the interpretation of the dream to the baker and the cupbearer come to pass. I'm sure that was a little juice in his faith uh, that day because he saw that God hadn't left him, that God was still with him. When you see parts of the dream along the way, it encourages you. When you get a word, listen to me, when you get a word from God, and when you get a word that you know is not from just somebody, but it's from the king of all kings, let me tell you, it will take you through the seasons when you feel like you're in the pit. It'll take you through the seasons when you're running from Potiphar's wife. It'll take you through the season of prison years when everyone else forgets about you and you're alone with nothing but your dream, but you've got a word from God. I'm telling you people, when you get a word and a dream from the Lord, it'll see you through. It'll see you through. This past week, the staff had an opportunity to hear a, a little testimony of a 14-year-old girl, now grown woman, but uh, her husband was actually telling the story. She was 14 years old. She was folding sheets. I think it was, uh, I mean, my mind is the, as her husband was telling the story, that she remembers as a little girl, she was out folding sheets and the sheet was flapping in the wind and God gave her a dream as a 14-year-old little girl that God spoke to her that showed her a picture of her leading people, leading them in singing like a choir and that she would be there directing this choir and they were people from all different nations, people of all different color and creed and kind and she would be leading them as they worshiped the Lord. As a 14-year-old girl, she held on to that little dream, but her teenage years came and passed, and she still wasn't doing any of that. Her 20s came. Her marriage to her, her now husband of many years came. She's a very shy, timid, kind of reserved kind of person. And during those years of that dream, almost feeling forgotten years of God, she wrestled with it. And he would try to encourage her and remind her of the dream. And years passed, they became pastors of a little church in New York. And it was so small and it was such a struggling work. And yet he would remind her when she would get discouraged, God gave you a dream. Well, can I tell you, after 27 albums later... After 27 albums later, i got to come back and look at my notes to remind myself of all the things that's happened. Six Grammy Awards, five Dove Awards, Carol Cimbala, the wife of Jim Cimbala, sings and leads a 280-voice choir called the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. They've performed and worshipped at Carnegie Hall, they've worshiped the Lord at Radio City Music Hall, Madison Square Garden, Billy Graham Crusades, and even presidential inaugurations. 
All because God gave a little 14-year-old girl a dream, and she didn't quit on it. She still trusted God. See, David understood. David understood what it meant to feel discouraged when those forgotten years happened. And he says in Psalms 119.49, remember your promise to me. I want you all to say that. Remember your promise to me. Come on, say it again. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. It's not like God has this memory that constantly forgets things. No, but David is saying to God, remember, Lord, remember your promise to me. God, remember the dream you gave to me. I challenge you to remind yourself other people in Scripture held on to their promise from God. Abraham, Moses, Daniel, John, they all had a word, a dream from God, and they held on to it. And all God made men and all God made women of Scripture, when they heard from God, it was the dream, it was the word from God that saw them through the difficult hours. It was more than getting out of prison for, for Joseph. It was more than finding favor with Pharaoh. It was more than just saving his family. It was a dream that God had given him beyond what he even understood himself. I'm going to drop this into your heart. It was a dream to become a nation. I've never seen this in the story of Joseph until this week as I was looking at this. How important the slave lessons were for Joseph because when he became number two with Pharaoh, he saw slavery from a whole different perspective. He learned what it meant He knew what it was doing to the lives of people and families. He realized, listen to me, he realized at some point that this was not the future of his people. That slavery was not what God had intended for God's people. As I close, I want you to think about this. Hebrews 11 22 says, it was by faith that Joseph, listen to this, this is going to come together for you, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Genesis 50, 25 says, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. You see, Joseph had faith that his people would not remain slaves. They wouldn't remain indebted constantly to Pharaoh and to Egypt, but God had a greater dream that even than the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down before Joseph, God gave him even a greater dream beyond his initial dream that the people known as the Jewish people would leave and God would give them a nation all their own, a home all their own. I close with this thought, third lesson, the genuineness of our forgiveness forges the impact of our influence. Let that soak in. Some of you want to see your dream come true. You better make sure you've got forgiveness in your heart for those that have hurt you or your dream may never come to pass. 
The genuineness of our forgiveness forges the impact of our influence. Acts 7, they tell about Joseph again. It says, then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and all of his relatives to come to Egypt 75 persons in all. Remember when I was giving you the overview that, that Joseph sent for his father and the entire family of his brothers, that he brought them back to Egypt and took care of them. He didn't have to do that. He could have said, no, no food for you. Joseph learns God's perspective. He learned God's perspective rather than having a revengeful heart. He knew that it was greater to forgive than to get even. He learned that in those tough years, in those hard seasons. When Joseph's father showed, or Joseph's father Jacob died and his brothers thought for sure he would pay them back for the evil that they had showed him. You know what God gave him? God gave him a new kind of vision. We're going to call it a 50-20 vision, not a 20-20 vision. But now I've asked you to wait to look at this verse of Scripture in chapter 50, verse 20. Look at what it says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Listen to me. It wasn't just the lives of Egypt. It wasn't just the lives of his family. It was for the future nation of Israel. God had put together a greater dream and used the genuineness of his forgiveness to impact through the influence that Joseph was given by God. Joseph didn't merely save 75 of his family. As the scripture we read in Acts 7 14 said, But if you read Exodus 12, verse 37, it says, when they left Egypt, when Moses led them out of Egypt, there were 600,000 men. That doesn't include the women and the children. There's an estimate of two to three million people that left thousands of Jewish families. You see, God saved through Joseph the future nation that would become God's holy people. Wow. Joseph learned fortitude, the strength of mind that enables one to endure adversity with courage. He learned faith, believing in a God bigger than the situations around us, a God bigger than you and me, a God that can do anything, that believing that word and that dream that God would bring blessing that God has in store. He was a person of forgiveness because what does his life reflect? It points to who? It points to Jesus. It points to Jesus and how Jesus gives grace and forgiveness to those who've been hurt. Those that do the hurting. Those who don't deserve it. But knowing that God has a plan for forgiveness, you and I can show that forgiveness too. So I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to think about a couple of questions. What dreams are you still clinging to? What dreams are you clinging to right now? What are you crying out to God? God, please remember what you've spoken. God, please remember it's my only hope. Maybe for some of you it's a promise of a child that you want to 
start a family and yet God hasn't for some reason given you that opportunity. Or maybe for some of you, it's a child to come to Christ. Maybe a spouse or a parent to come to the Lord. Maybe some of you are holding on to the promise of a miracle in your finances. Maybe you've got a dream that God has given you for a job that would impact the lives of people for the glory of God. Maybe it's a word regarding fulfillment in ministry to bless other people. What lessons is God trying to teach you? Through your life's hardships and difficult situations, what is God trying to say to you? Let me tell you, God never wastes a hurt. He teaches us through those seasons. My challenge to you is don't let the dream die because God wants to see those dreams that he's given to you come to pass. This concludes the teaching. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc.